God, we just want to continue in a prayer now in that moment. We just thank you, God, that I just thank you for the faith it took for the people in this room to sing that song. I know that for some it was was difficult, maybe even impossible to just get those words out today. So I just thank you for all of us who are here and pray that in this moment you'd speak to each of us at the point of our deepest need, our deepest longing. I pray that you would help us to remember the words we started with as we sing, there's power in the name of Jesus. So as we come to this place today and as we talk about marriage in particular, there's all kinds of different things that people feel going on today. And I just pray, Jesus, that you would speak to each and every one of us right at the point of our individual longings, our individual needs and desires. And we just thank you so much in advance for how you're going to do that. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys are awesome. And I just want to ask you to have a seat. That'd be wonderful. Thanks so much for engaging in our time of singing together. It was really cool to just listen to you sing and to declare those praises to God. And so what I'm going to ask, we're just going to jump right in today uh, with the part where you're going to take some notes. So if you would, just go ahead and grab these message notes out of your program. They're going to be really helpful today. Uh, where you get to write down some thoughts and some ideas. I'm going to cover things that aren't on the blanks, so you're going to want to have space to write. And I did give you space this week. We have a little bit more to write on. And so have this ready as we go through this. And the reason we give you this is, one, uh, just to give you something to doodle on while I speak. That's one thing. And, uh, but also, is there's just something that happens when we write down the thoughts that God gives us here. And then you get to take this with you. Uh, you don't get to take me with you, but you get to take this with you. And this is your tool that you take home, and then God can use this in your life in a way to speak to you as you pull it out during the week. So that's one of the reasons we give this to you. Also, if you'd open your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, and I just want to encourage you that you can, uh, if you don't own a Bible, we want to give you one. It looks just like this. There's a bookshelf right out there with Bibles on it that you can have that. And today we're going to continue in this series that we're calling Reset. And just want to encourage you also, if you're watching online, that you would go ahead and just download the app, and then you can fill out a connection card and stay checked in with us as we go through this. So we're in a series called Reset, and the whole idea is this. Based upon a time when Jesus was teaching, and a man came to Jesus and asked Jesus, and I, I believe with all sincerity, asked Jesus, because there were 613 commands that they had that the Israel people, the, the religious leaders, had uh, taken the Ten Commands and make it into 613. Sounds like government, right, some way? It's kind of like a government thing. And so they had taken these commands and made it 613. And so he came and he said, Jesus, I really want to know. And I think he was sincere. He really wanted Jesus to tell him what would be the most important command. And then Jesus said, do you really want to know? Okay, here you go. He says, here's the first and most important command. And that is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says this next part, and this is what we're looking at in the series right there on the top of your notes. Jesus said this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these, the first and the second. And he said they're equal in importance. And for this man, and I think for us as we've been going through this, this is a reset moment. So uh, as we come to this part of the series, though, where we talk about love the Lord, you know, love your neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is as my mentor has coached me to look at this, uh, that this section that we're looking at now is about loving the Lord our God with all our relationships. You can love God through your relationships. God's loved as you love others. 
He said that in his word right here. And so we're looking at this about how we can do relationships. A big part of the series is on relationships because we have, you know, a lot of context with this, right? We have a lot of people in our world, a lot of people around us. We need to know how to relate to them. And today we're going to talk about the context of marriage. And so uh, unless you've kind of had your head in the sand or don't care, the entire world has been captured and enthralled this weekend by the royal wedding, right? And I just want to share a couple of pictures with you. Uh, this is just a sweet moment when they're giving their vows uh, together there in the church service. It was just awesome. And so here's the next picture that really took, oh, there, isn't that sweet? So they're leaving. That's their first official kiss. Uh, and so I saw earlier that they, they couldn't hold back, and every chance they got, they were kissing. And so, you know, that's kind of what marriage is about, right? So every chance they got, they'd find a moment to kiss each other. But it was just beautiful to see that. Uh, and it was a glamorous and regal affair. And so they stood in front, not just of a church, of a pastor, in front of witnesses. They stood in front of the entire world, right? And in front of the entire world, they said these two words. They said, I do. I do. Excuse me? I will. I will. Excuse me. I was caught. I didn't watch that part. <laughs> uh, but that works too. I will. And so they said they agreed to that. And now, like every other married couple who's gone before them, every single one, that they will spend the rest of their days trying to figure out what they said they will do from now on how to do what they said they will do. And see, that's the deal when most people get married, right? It's just the way it is. Falling in love is easy. Falling in love requires a pulse, right? If you're breathing, you can fall in love. That's just the way it is. Staying in love, though, requires more than a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. Staying in love is hard work. And so it's such hard work that there's some people in our world today that actually wonder if uh, a lifelong commitment and marriage between two people is even possible in our day and age, that two people could stay in love for a lifetime. So falling in love and getting married is the easy part. Now, I know some of you have been weddings, and it wasn't easy at the wedding, and I know it wasn't easy preparing for the wedding, but I just got to tell you, that's the easy part. After you say, I do or I will, from now on comes the hard part, the work part, and it's helpful to have a plan. And today what I want to do is I want to talk about how we can have a plan together. And I want to start by giving you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I love to, you know, every chance I get to read what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, his sermons. I loved his biography written by Eric McTaxas. But he, at the end of his uh, marriage ceremony, he would say this. He would say this, today you are young and very much in love, and you think that love will sustain your marriage. It won't. I'm sure he said this to so many couples, and they're like, what? It will. It will. And he says, it won't. And then he says this, but your marriage can sustain your love. What you produce will sustain the love that you desire. See, love alone can't sustain your marriage, but marriage can sustain your love. And that's what we want to talk about today. So when I get to officiate a wedding ceremony, right at the very beginning, 
I, when the couple was just standing in front of me, I asked him to stop a moment and turn around and look at uh, all of the witnesses who were there and, and you know, gathered that day. And I'll say something like this. These people that if you're looking at right now, your friends and family, the witnesses, they aren't here just to support you. They don't want your marriage just to survive. They're here today because they want your marriage to thrive. That's why they're here. And I'll just say it to you as well. God didn't design marriage to be something that two people just survive in. Grunted out to the end. He didn't design marriage to be that way. He created to marriage to be an arrangement, a relationship in which two people can thrive. Become all that he made them to be because of the encouragement of each other. So I just want to encourage you with this. Don't be, believe that lie that you made a mistake and somehow you got married, you're now down the road a little bit and you think somehow you married the wrong person. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie that you would be happier somehow if you were married to someone else. Get down the road somewhere and you think, you look around, the grass looks greener over there, and you're like, oh, I think I'll go over there because it looks like I'd be happier over there. Don't believe that lie. That's a lie. And I'll just let you in a little secret. We all married the wrong person. <laughs> this should set some of you free. <laughs> we all married the wrong person. It's true. Because in every marriage, there's going to come that moment when you will look at each other and hopefully nicely, you will say this. You'll say, who are you? Where's the person I married? I think I married an alien. <laughs> you guarantee you, you're going to say that. If you haven't yet, it's coming. Because folks, I'll just say it this way. No marriage is perfect. No marriage is perfect. Now, the reason no marriage is perfect, I just want you to think about this. Think about when two people come together and get married. I want you to think about the potential for conflict and difficulty that happens just because two people. So just envision this. You have two sinners. You have one sinner, S-I-N-N-E-R, coming with another sinner, and they are saying, I will, before all their audience and everybody's there, and then they get married, and now they have two sinners who are married. And then before long, they have little sinnerlings <laughs> who never go away. <laughs> and they get to live life with them. And I just tell you, there's bound to be some excitement in that, right? There's bound to be some energy in that. There's bound to be some difficulty. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. No such thing as a perfect marriage. But no matter the condition of your marriage today, your marriage can become a healthier marriage. It can be a health in your marriage. I believe every, I'll just say, I believe every marriage can make it. I believe every marriage can make it. And I'm not trying to, you know, make, if any, those of you who are divorced or been through divorce, in separation right now, I'm not trying to put shame on you. I'm not trying to say that you did something wrong right now. What I'm saying is here today, forward, I believe that we can look at this and we can say every marriage can make it because God wants every marriage to thrive. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with John chapter 13. I'm going to ask if you would to look at John chapter 13. And Jesus, as, uh, at the final, some of the final words he says before he would go to the cross, he says this in John chapter 13. Talking about commandments, he says, now I'm going to give you a new commandment. Here it is. Love each other. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. So that's the qualifier. Just as I have loved you. And we're going to look at this today. Just as I've loved you, you should love each other. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's talking to his people. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you. This isn't you know, a commandment for you, but it's a commandment for his people. And what he's saying here is that the thing that will set his people apart, and this is why 
for two years now, I've been talking about this relentlessly, about how our character and our attitudes and our behavior are directly influence our culture and our world around us, the world we live in, away or toward Jesus, directly. Because what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that your love will prove the world that you are my disciples. Your love will prove the world. You should love each other. Now, here's the deal. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And not only that, love is a verb. So when Jesus is saying here, he's saying make love. Make love. It's a verb. So we're going to act in a certain way, but it's a choice that we make. And so what he's saying here is he's saying, I want you to choose to act like love acts. That's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to act like love acts. So I'm going to give you four choices today. And we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. And uh, not your typical place that you would land to talk about marriage. Uh, actually put some verses there that I didn't have time to cover. And so if you want to read those uh, on your own sometime, that'd be really great. But I'm going to jump right down into the four choices uh, that we would make that make love last. So just, uh, just heads up, just heads, remind us, falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. So that's what we need to remember. Falling in love requires a pulse. Staying in love requires a plan. And the first part of the plan is that I have to choose selflessness. If I'm going to stay in love, I have to choose selflessness. And so Paul is writing, and he's talking about how followers of Jesus would relate to one another. And he's in, he's going to use Jesus as the example later on in this verses that we're going to look at. But at the beginning of these verses, he simply says this. In verse 3, he says, don't be selfish. Is that hard to understand? Is it hard to do? Don't be selfish. Now, we all know what that means. To be selfish means I'm mostly concerned about getting my needs met. Selfish people are mostly concerned about getting their needs met. So selfishness is all about me and my needs. So if I'm selfless, it'll all be about you and your needs. About you and your needs. And he says this, and don't try to impress others. So what that means here is he's saying, I'm coming at things from the perspective that I always have to be right. When I'm pressing others, it's because I want them to believe that I'm always right that I always have the right thing to do. I'm always doing the right thing. So we look at everything's about me, and I'm always right. That's selfishness, and that's trying to oppress us. Everything's about me, and I'm always right. And selflessness is saying it's not all about me. Some of you could practice this phrase. And you know what? I just might be wrong. <laughs> I just might be wrong. Staying in love requires two people who are willing to put aside their individual needs for the sake of the other. For the sake of the marriage. Now, this goes against most of the common ideas about marriage. When we believe that we marry someone, we think, and I've heard this, and I've heard the romantic, and you know, the staying in uh, the the falling in love statements that people look and they say, "But you're going to complete me. You're going to make me whole. Therefore, everything about the marriage is going to be what you do to make me whole." Can you see the, da the danger in that? Can you see how difficult that might be, the trap in that, or thinking somebody else is going to make me whole? Folks, the goal of marriage is not to be made whole or completed by someone else. Some of you get to go have take some wall hanging down today that says, <laughs> you complete me, and you gave this to your spouse on an anniversary. Uh, you can leave it up, okay? Just know it's a lie. <laughs> 
being made complete or whole, that's what God does. That's his job. It's the process of transformation or discipleship whereby he changes us and then he changes to be more like Jesus. Marriage is less about personal satisfaction and more about personal sanctification. If you can sign up for that plan, then you're signing up for the marriage that can thrive. It's less about my personal satisfaction, more about my personal sanctification. And I'll just say it again. God didn't give you a spouse to make you happy. Now, you can have a happy marriage. I don't want to say that. For some of you, are going, oh, my gosh. The whole idea in marriage is that I'm going to marry someone, and they're going to be so difficult, and they're going to suck the life out of me so I become more like Jesus. And there's never any joy, right? And that's not what we're saying at all. He gave you a spouse, though, to make you holy, to holy. Marriage is one of God's sanctifying tools to make you more like him. And I, I agree with that. This weekend on Saturday, I will be married to my wife for 28 years. 28 years. I, I thought about putting wedding pictures of our wedding up here, but today's pictures in today's world look so much better than ours. <laughs> uh, and they look so much so young there and everything as we looked at that. And I'll just say publicly what I've said to her privately, okay? I'll just say it out loud. I would not be the man you see before you today without the struggles Kimberly and I have had in our marriage. I wouldn't be the man I am today without the struggles we've had in our marriage. Struggles between each other, struggles in life, as we've walked them out together. I would never be the husband that my wife really needs if I had made happiness my goal. I had to understand that it was about transformation and God was wanting to to make me more like Jesus, and then that would fill her, but it would also fill me with the desires of my heart. I'll just say this. I can be selfish. I really can. I can be a self-centered, self-focused man. At times, yes. <laughs> Other times, I'm not, but at times, I'm that way. But I'll just through the guidance and power of the Holy Spirit, God has used my marriage to make me more holy. Now, we've had to have marriage counselors along the way. Uh, we've had to have friends who've prayed for us and helped us and talked us through situations. Uh, we've gone to marriage seminars, had, you know, read books, read relentlessly different things that we could read to kind of help us with our marriage. And I'm going to talk later about a skill we've learned that I believe is the number one skill we've learned that's made our marriage soar uh, into an even greater place. But what happens is, is I have to realize this, even as I'm getting better, I'm still not perfect. So my marriage is not what? Perfect. And never, so we can't shoot for that perfect thing. And what happens, though, is that as I'm changed, I have a better marriage. And I can have the happiness then because there's less tension because I have a better marriage. And I'll just say this. God wants your tool, your marriage, to be both a tool to make you more like Jesus and an environment that can give you joy. He wants both. Okay? So we got that. Now, next one is choose honor. That's the next step. Choose honor. I'm going to read the rest of Philippians 2 now, 3, and he says this. He says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. When we talk about humility, that first part there, um, humility is you know, not saying I'm going to think less of myself, but it's actually saying that I'm going to think about myself less and so that I can think about you. That's humility. Think about myself less so I think about you so I can know what you need 
and how to help your needs get met. So we honor someone when we think of our partner as better than we are. Better than we are. Now, for me, that's not hard. Just better than we are. And so I'll just say, and we think of our, as worthy of our best intentions that the other person is deserving of our highest admiration. So another translation of this verse says, consider others as more important than yourselves. So to, to honor someone means to hold them of high esteem or hold them of high value, to value someone more important than yourself. So Paul is saying this, I want you to treat your partner, this is where, when you have two sinners that come together, this is so hard. I want you to treat your partner as if they really are more important than you. More important than you. So how do you act? How do you act when you're choosing honor for, towards someone else? Well, one way you, you don't interrupt. Let's give you some skills here. You don't interrupt. When someone's talking, you don't take a moment to interrupt them. Uh, when someone's telling a story, you don't correct their story. Say, oh, that's not the way it happened. This is really the way it happened. You don't butt in. I guess that's interrupting, right? Same thing. So, and then you laugh even when they're, what they're saying is not funny, okay? That's the way you honor, okay? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, <laughs> we needed that. Uh, in a word, what you're, when you honor, you're deferring to somebody else. You're deferring to them. That's an honor. You defer by treating that other person as if they're the most important person in the room. And so what, what ha one of the hindrances to having the marriage that you desire, marriage that thrives, is that what happens is, is after we're married, we tend to stop doing the small things that were really big things that made our marriage exciting and fulfilling. And this is why it's so important that we treat one another with kindness. Now, I really love... Uh, what we've been doing with our mind challenge, the Philippians 4-8 mind challenge. Thank you so much for those who keep following Twin Cities so that you can read these every day. I made a decision, by the way. I'm only doing this through Father's Day, so Father's Day will be the last one uh, as we get to this. And so every day I'm just writing a mind challenge to you based on Philippians 4-8, and it's been really helpful. And then last week, Kim helped us by talking about kindness. And I'm going to talk about the book she mentioned last week, and then I have another one to help us out today. So the book she mentioned last week is called The Kindness Challenge, and I hope some of you took this. Nix the negative, praise the positive, and act in kindness. Nix the negative, praise the positive, and then act in kindness. And that's been so helpful, especially with the Mind Challenge um, this week. But here, one of the things she says in this book is she says this, our lives and relationships will never be happy without kindness. And we can't be kind without giving up our rights. We can't be kind without self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. We have to die to ourselves in order to be kind. Now, I want to talk about another book. It's called Highly Happy Marriages. And what she did is she uh, found through all the uh, couples that she interviewed, uh, she tallied up and she, came, and she found 1,000 couples who on a scale ranked themselves, a scale that she produced as to rank themselves as happy. And then she asked, interviewed every one of those 1,000 couples and asked them what the secrets were that allowed them to have a happy marriage, a fulfilled marriage. And she narrowed it down to 12. So that's what this book is about, Highly Happy Marriages. Both of these are in the bookstore today, by the way, if you want to pick one up. And I want to share just a few of the 12 that she talked about how to have a happy highly happy marriage and here's the first one believe the best of your spouse you have nowhere to you just have to write this down if you want to but believe the best of your spouse's intentions when you're hurt so believe the best of your spouse's intentions when you're hurt in other words give them the benefit of the doubt 
They didn't really do this to hurt you. Honestly. Honestly. Second one is this. And I love this because we've all read uh, Ephesians 4 that says don't go to bed with your anger. Don't go to bed still angry. Well, she says this. What the couple said is go to bed mad. Just go to bed mad. Because what happens is when you're at the end of the day and you're tired and you're frustrated, you're going to do things and say things that you would not say when you're rested. <laughs> and you've had more time to, and I just love what God does in our sleep, in our sleep has time to rewire our brains. And then we wake up in the morning and we look at it differently. So he's just saying, they're saying, go to bed mad and then work on it. But don't, it doesn't say not work on it. And another one is this. Keep score of what the other person gives. Most of us keep score of what? And, you know, when it comes time for a conflict, we pull out the old sandbag and we just start laying it on about all the ways that you never did, never did, never did, never. We remember every single one. What if you remembered every single time that your spouse did something good, good for you or good for others? And they give. And then the last one would be this, kind of ties in with last week. Take control of your mind by nixing the negative thoughts. Take control of your mind by nixing the negative thoughts and focusing on the positive. When you do that, it will transform your relationship, and it's one way that you can choose honor. See, the best way you can restore the passion, this is what most of them destroy the passion that you used to have as a couple, is just to do the things that you used to do before you got married. Do those same things. Flirt with each other, date each other, talk to each other, consider each other, court each other, learn new things about each other, spend time with each other. If you want to feel the way you used to feel, do the things you used to do. It's that simple. Just do the things you used to do. Last, next, choose empathy. Choose empathy. This is the, one of the key points for me today. Choose empathy. And uh, Paul says in verse 4, he says, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now, this is really hard. I don't know about you, but this is really hard for me. And, you know, I'm just going to work this out just a little bit so you can understand what this is actually saying. I'm consumed most with what interests me. And that's true with all of us. We're consumed most with what interests us. And I'm consumed so much with what interests me, I don't have much brain space to be concerned or aware of what interests Kimberly. So what I have to do is I have to learn to pay attention to her interests, to what she's saying, to what she's doing, so that I can now put her interests above my own. I just want to see if you can track with this, okay? This is something I read this week that I think made really good sense is talking about this. The problem with this is that most of us are primarily interested in what interests us, and we're just not interested, that interested in things that aren't of interest to us because they're just not that interesting to us. You see how that works. <laughs> So we just go through the line there. So we kind of say, no, I have to change and I have to give empathy. So I just want to say this, that empathy is one of the keys to a relationship uh, that one of the, I, I didn't know how powerful empathy was. I really didn't. Until Kim and I started working on the whole concept of empathy. And by God's grace, I was wired to be empathetic and she was not. She's the, she's the most caring, feeling person on earth. But she's also uh, Myers-Briggs J, and if you're a Myers-Briggs J, then you have to understand empathy is not in your wheelhouse, typically. And so you see things as black and white, and you can be judgmental, 
and you can want to fix. And so what I've seen, though, is as we've learned about empathy, and she's taken this on as a challenge to become more empathetic, oh my gosh, I can't believe the difference it makes when she talks to me and she is empathetic with me. And so empathy is not that hard, guys. It's just not that hard. Empathy is when someone says something to you, you listen, and you don't fix. So they say something to you, you listen, and you don't fix, but you just, it also, I'm just, I'm going to give you like this cheater thing, and you're going to do this, and your spouse is going to say, you're just doing that because Ron told us to. <laughs> but all you have to do is just go, mm-hmm. And then the flow will start again. And you go, "Mm mm-hmm. That's being empathetic. (laughs) But actually, it's more than that. You you actually have to come now where you understand how, you have to validate the bigness of what someone's feeling. That's the the backside of empathy. You have to validate the bigness of what someone is actually feeling. Okay, lastly, choose sacrifice. Choose sacrifice. This is where we're going to talk about how Jesus did it when he said in... John 13, love as I have loved you. And so Paul goes on, verses 5 through 8, and he says this. You, talking about those who follow Jesus, you must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God to be something to cling to. Instead, once you underline this, he gave up his divine privileges. Gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. Underline that. He took the humble, humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Just put died on a cross. Those three things. Those three things are the keys to sacrifice. And what Paul is asking you and me to do is in our marriage relationship, all relationships, but in our marriage relationship, is to approach the other person in the same way that Jesus approaches us. He wants us to have the same attitude and the same perspective. And there are three things. He, first of all, he didn't demand what he deserved. Can you think about how that would just change the dynamics in your marriage if you stop demanding what you think you deserve or even deserve? You don't demand it. Instead, we give, we give, and we give that up. Second thing is he gave up his rights and he became a servant. So there's another thing about our marriages and our relationships, but especially our marriages, if you could see yourself as the chief servant in your home. See yourself as the chief servant in your home. Imagine what that would do. And then he did the right thing, even though it was excruciatingly painful to him. There's going to be times that doing the right thing hurts so much, requires so much energy. But Jesus did the right thing, even though it was excruciatingly painful. And he's our model, and he's the one that we're called to seek after. We're supposed to express the same attitude that he did. See, the goal of marriage is not to decide who's going to submit to whom, okay? That's not the goal of marriage. The goal of marriage is that we will declare up front that we will submit to each other. 
The biblical model is mutual submission, mutuality, and that we will decide to submit to each other. Now, okay, so that's all about marriage. Those are the, the choices that we'd make. I just want to kind of wrap up with a couple of thoughts about marriage and what do we do with this today. So look at this verse from Hebrews 13. John read it to us earlier, and it says this, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. So that would be, say, here you go, give honor to your marriage. So I'm going to speak positive things about my spouse. Give honor to your marriage and remain faithful, faithful to one another in marriage. See, marriage needs to be honored not just by the people who are married, but by everyone else as well. I'll just say this, there are too many negative, marriage, negative messages about marriage today in our culture. And so one of the ways that we can be like Jesus is that we can model this whole idea uh, of the value and power of a healthy marriage. So when you speak about marriage, I just want to encourage you, you would speak about it in positive ways. Because marriage is God's design, it's his design. I'm asking you, all of us together, Twin Cities Church, is that we would become advocates for marriage. Advocates for marriage. That you lift up marriage. Because it's God's design, and he esteems it as highly valuable. And it's beautiful, whether you're young or old or single or old or married or divorced. See, folks, the average age of marriage has gone from 22 to 28. And one of the reasons it's gone from 22 to 28 is that our young adults, our young people, are looking around and they're seeing marriage be disrespected and dishonored by culture and parents and friends that they're fearful of marriage. And so one of the things that we can do is that we can be advocates for the kind of marriage that God designed it to be. Now, it's important for that reason, but it's also important for another reason. I'll just close with John 13, 35. And Jesus says this. This is why another reason that you'd want to honor marriage, advocate for marriage, do the work to have a solid marriage, is Jesus says this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. When you fall in love and you stay in love, you become an example, a witness to the world of God's love. And our world needs that. Our world needs to see the truthfulness of people who say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to honor marriage. I'm going to be empathetic. And you know what? I'm going to sacrifice. And I'm going to do it by the power of the name of Jesus. Because, folks, without Jesus, it's not possible. With Jesus, all things are possible. God has a plan for you. Let's pray together. Well, God, I know that when we come to this, that I know that this has been hard for some people in the room, especially. I know, I just want to speak right now to those who are widowed or widowers. And they're missing their spouse so deeply. Let's pray that your comfort would be on them, that they would be able to celebrate uh, inside and with you the marriage that they had. And Lord, I also want to pray for those who have had difficult marriages and uh, have been divorced and 
are here today and and even though I asked them not to, they're still feeling shame. They're still feeling guilt. And God, there's only one thing to do with that, and that's to turn that shame and guilt to Jesus. Jesus makes all things new. Jesus makes all things new. You don't have to live in the past with regret. And God, I pray for those who have struggling marriages as well, that it's been painful even to hear some of the things I've said today because inside they're going, it's not possible. Maybe you're about to give up on your marriage. and I just want to think about Romans 12. And Romans 12 says, if as much as it's up to you, be at peace with everyone. And that's the call. If it's just your, your stuff, you can do everything that we've said today. And over time, you may see a difference in your marriage. That would be our prayer. And for the rest of us, we'd just be thinking about, God, I want to be the best spouse I can be. I'll, wait, I also want to pray for those who are single that are just thinking, I'd like this. I'd really like to be married. In fact, it's the deepest longing in my heart, and it doesn't seem to happen. I just want you to receive God's comfort in that area as well, uh, that there may be a reason that God may want you to be single. But even today, that what you would do is you would work on becoming the kind of person who could be the kind of married partner that we talked about today. And then lastly, God, I pray for those of us who just needed refreshing, uh, that if we, if we really take time to look at each other in the eyes, uh, some of the tensions we feel just seems to kind of melt away when we just take a moment, when uh, we release stuff and we can remember the days when we were falling in love. Remember the days when we felt strong feelings. And God, I pray that you'd restore us. You'd restore those days. And that you would help us to be happy as you define happiness. But God, I also thank you for the process that some people today would say, God, I want to submit to your process of holiness. What do you need to change in me so that my marriage has less tension? There's less abrasiveness in my marriage. God, I thank you because Jesus showed us how to do this. And we trust in him. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.